have you been zombified by trying to figure out who should be on your Z team in the zombie apocalypse? Yeah. And it's now it's like a real thing where I got to figure out every person that I invite into my life carries this risk, but then also not having anyone around is miserable. So yeah, this idea of who do you uh, allow into your alliance is really like, it's not nearly as hypothetical as when we were first discussing it. So that is a great point. And and, you know, in fact, we recorded this episode before the pandemic uh, with Cam Carlson, um, who is an active duty military officer, and he also helps run the Zombie Research Society, um, exactly about this question of, you know, how do you put your Z team together? And there's so much in this episode that feels like it is made for pandemic times, even though it was recorded before anything yeah. happened with COVID. What's wild, and what's wild is we recorded this, what, four or five months ago, and it seemed like this was all fantasy, right? This yeah. is all like, oh, hypothetically, in an apocalypse scenario, you have to decide who you're going to be friends with yeah. and <laughs> how much you can do on your own. So, uh, yeah, but it's really, it's really interesting because we talk about sort of the risks, the rewards. We talk about the ethical questions of do you want to ally you know, ally with people who are uh, have different views about what's acceptable food sources and things like that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had some uh, interesting discussion about what is and isn't okay to eat. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. You're going to have to listen to Dave make his um, incriminating discussion about um, what he would eat or not. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, you're going to have to tune in to hear Cam and Athena express their sort of naive, idealistic views <laughs> on what they wouldn't eat. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, Certainly depends on your perspective. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. And I think it's, uh, I think it raises a lot of really good questions that we're still trying to figure out. So Agreed. And um, just by the way, before we get started with this episode, I'm Athena Actipus. I'm a psychology professor at ASU, and I'm also the chair of the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance. Oh, right. And I am Dave Lumberg henrik I'm the media outreach program manager at Arizona State University uh, and a brain enthusiast. And so, yeah. And so this is Zombified. So, yeah. So um, let. Oh, should we talk about Zam? We should. We should yeah, talk was, about Zam before yeah. we jump into this episode. <laughs> um, so, uh, or at the very least, we should tell people what Zam is. Zam is for people who are looking to um, connect with other people virtually, sort of, and learn from a lot of really interesting experts. It's our uh, conference that's coming up. Yeah, it's like a highly mutated academic meeting. It's just turned monstrous. <laughs> and we'll have, so we're going to have talks, we're going to have workshops where you can learn all sorts of different things and uh, lots of TV shows, actually. So we've created a whole bunch of television shows on Channel Z, which is sort of our concept for this meeting and is going to be just our video concept for Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance moving forward. And so uh, the conference is not just going to be traditional talks. It's also going to be amazing um academics and other scholars and researchers and writers 
talking with us and our other hosts on shows that range from, you know, how to eat in the zombie apocalypse and cook in the zombie apocalypse to um, watching clips from zombie movies and TV shows and analyzing them um, to late night brains, which is kind of our uh, video um, version of a lot of what we do with zombified, but with uh, shorter talks with guests and multiple guests at the same time. Yep. So everyone should come and they should invite whoever they trust enough to consider a friend. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. You can find more information about the zombie apocalypse medicine meeting at zombiemed.org and channel Z is channelz.org. And we actually have a whole bunch of awesome material up there already. We've been doing live streams every Monday at 1030 in the morning. Um, You can join those and be part of our live Q&A. Sounds good. So they should register now, right? Yes, register now. Um, The meeting is October 15th through 18th. So there's still time. Cool. All right. Well, I think we're ready, yeah? So let's let's hear from this week's Fresh Brain, Cam Carlson. I know it's crazy, but it seems so logical. Try to fight it, but it's something psychological with you. Trying to be over analytical, retracing time to remind myself how ugly this could be. But something else is taking over me. Hey, Cam, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. (laughs) It's great to have you. Uh, Would you uh, introduce yourself in your own words for all of us? Um, my name is Cameron Carlson. I am the media director and board of, one of the board of advisors uh, for the Zombie Research Society. Um, that's who I am, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're more than that, though, right? Well, true, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, mean, I, wouldn't, I don't know. So uh, I'm an active duty officer in the United States military. Um, I am currently with uh, Second Fleet, doing an operations job, and uh, got into zombies back when I was doing my uh, thesis for my master's degree. Got hooked up with the Zombie Research Society then when I was doing a, uh, uh, a collaboration of public and private uh, disaster relief for my thesis. And so the zombie apocalypse played directly into that, and that's how I kind of got started with the Zombie Research Society. Uh, interviewed Matt, and then I asked him if he would like me to become part of the society from the survival aspect. He said yes, and been doing it ever since. And uh, just finished up my dissertation for um, epidemiology. Awesome. So, yeah. So, so what is the Zombie Research Society? So the Zombie Research Society is a society that is dedicated to the research and study of how the zombie apocalypse would come about and how to deal with it. So the response aspect, the survival, the weapons, the science behind it, the theories behind it, all that good stuff. It's kind of like the, uh, the YouTube for the written word. You know, you could spend all day and just go down a rabbit hole and you'll never, you'll never reach the end of it. So that's kind of what we do. Cool. So, how long has Zombie Research Society been around? Long time. Um, as far as I can remember, it's been around for about ten years. It really hit its about ten years. It really hit its height during the zombie craze back in like two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, with the big zombie movies are coming out uh, and all that stuff, and um, been rolling ever since. Started out with one person, and now it's grown into a lot of people, a lot awesome. of advisors. 
Yeah, so, it seems like um, zombies, they, they've got some staying power, right? Like the whole zombie craze, mm-hmm. it didn't just die. Vampires come yeah. and go, but zombies are here to stay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they never die. Zombies That's, never die. Yeah, zombies never die. <laughs> and if they do, they come back to life. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, so can you uh, tell us a little bit more about like how zombies actually played into the work that you did for your dissertation? Absolutely. Uh, Well, so the dissertation, not so much, but the thesis, absolutely. The dissertation, Mm -hmm. so the dissertation was a, it was almost an extension of my thesis. Okay. So the thesis uh, for my master's program was all about a public and private uh, disaster response from militarily and what the military's role was. As I went through that and was doing all the research, I stumbled upon the Zombie Research Society. And in my head, I was like, well... Zombie re- or the zombie apocalypse is nothing more than an analog for any major disaster. If you're prepared for the zombie apocalypse, you're prepared for everything. So I went with that. And I started going down the hole of if we had a zombie apocalypse, what would the steps be? What would happen during it, during the initial stages? And what would happen afterwards? Where would the response come in? How would we respond? Would it be effective? That's kind of where that whole thing played into the thesis. And then as I did the dissertation phase, I, I built on the thesis almost, but I took it a step further. I took it into a pandemic realm where it is a, it's a lose-lose situation for everybody involved. It's a, what I'm calling a chimera virus as a, it's two viruses living in symbiosis where one presents at one time and the other one lays dormant, but still, you're, still as a person, you're infectable or you're contagious. Um, and then at the right time, after the doctors have gone through and they've found that virus and they've treated the closest alligator to the ship, in this case, I think it was smallpox I referenced, that Ebola is still living inside you, still being contagious, and then it presents at a moment's notice and just explodes on the scene and it just rapidly expands throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I kind of branched the two. So for, for you, like the the idea of the zombie apocalypse like is very readily translatable to a lot of things that have to do with pandemics that currently exist or have been an issue in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, and if you're prepared for one, you're prepared for everything. It's just, it's kind of a morbid thing to think about, um, <laughs> especially from a pandemic realm. Hmm. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so what, what happens like, and in, in those early stages of like when people are starting to realize that there is, some sort of uh, threat that, say, is an infectious threat. Okay, so, and I say this with all due love and respect to everybody out there, but one of the biggest issues that I found is that people do not read credible sources. With the age of social media and the age of, you know, technology and being able to get your word out there, you have people that are, you know, self-proclaimed experts. Uh, Not listening to the CDC, not listening to the USM Red, not listening to government officials, but rather... You know, they say, hey, it's coming. This is what it is without any real knowledge. And that creates fear mongering. So what's going to happen in the initial stages? Fear, panic, chaos. Um, once people begin to realize what this is, that if it's a pathogen, mm-hmm. in my case, in, you know, in my, in my scenario, uh, that, you know, all of a sudden you can be infected and not know it and then die you know, five days later. Total bummer. Uh, or a zombie apocalypse where people are changing mm-hmm. and now your best friend is trying to kill you. Well, there's going to be a lot of, like, fear and panic. Um, initially, what's going to happen is people are going to f- try and figure out what this is. They're trying to run tests. They're trying to place it into a category that they know. When they find out that that's not in the category that they know, they're going to go to different measures. They're going to start testing for the exotic stuff, 
Ebola, you know, um, yellow fever, not yellow fever, um, like the hantavirus, things like that, like the hemorrhagics, the exotics. Um, and then once that doesn't happen, once that comes up, you know, nil, then they're at, a, they're at a standstill. But by this point, it's already too late. This is probably a week. This is probably two weeks. And now as the infection starts to spread, the U.S. military rolls in. And they what do they do? They try and uh, quarantine and contain. That might initially work where you pull, okay, you're infected, you're infected, you're infected, you're exhibiting symptoms, you're going to go over here. You know, much like every zombie movie we've ever seen. Quarantine, control. Once those measures break down because it becomes out of control, the U.S. military does what everybody else does. They tuck tail and run because they have a family and the survival instinct kicks in. Now you're talking about a complete breakdown in infrastructure. So once the infrastructure starts to break down, probably in a few months, depending on how fast this thing spreads, the infrastructure in the United States will break down. And then now you're talking about everybody's on their own. It's all for all. One, you know, it's, it's vigilantes at this point. And now it's just survive on your own. Nobody's coming to help you. Hmm. Uh, and that's where... That's where things get a little sporty. It's <laughs> uh, everybody for themselves now. And uh, mm-hmm. it's the Wild West. Mm-hmm. Because now that you know that nobody's coming to help you, the fear and the panic begin to diminish because now you realize as a human being, you can do whatever you want to do. There are no laws, which becomes even more dangerous mm-hmm. because there are no laws. There's nothing to stop you from doing anything. Except for maybe, hopefully, your humanity. Hopefully, right. if there's any of that left yeah, at that point. That's, so that would be almost the natural progression of things in a uh-huh. short, short version of it. Uh-huh. So, right. I have a question. So since this is since these are sort of hypothetical scenarios, right? right how do you go about researching what would happen? <clears throat> that's a good question. Uh, so if you what in a lot of the in a lot of the um, the research I did was I looked at disasters as a whole. Uh huh. And I began to draw conclusions and assumptions based upon what was the response to that. And let's say, for instance, a, uh, a hurricane, so Dorian. Uh-huh. I looked at Dorian and I looked at what was the response from the U.S. military and the public. Now, granted, a hurricane is an isolated incident. Sure. It can affect widespread areas, but once it's done, it's done. It's not going to die and then come back to life and then it's going <laughs> to destroy the whole <laughs> the region again. That's not how that works. Um, but if you look at the responses to those disasters, you can then draw inferences to how the U.S. military and the people at a general would respond to a massive pandemic. Okay. You also look at when, you, when I was starting to do this, I looked at the national response framework that is written by uh, FEMA and Department of Homeland Security about what to do during an unknown pandemic or an unknown pathogen. And you know what it said? We have a plan. Okay. That's it. I don't know what plan oh, that that's is. It. That's Just, it. We have, we a, have plan. a plan. There are plans. <laughs> okay. There are plans in place. That's it. All right. It's kind of terrifying. You know, like, okay, we have no idea what we're going to do. we got a plan. We don't know what it is yet, but we have a plan. How many years have you been trying to figure out what that plan actually is? Mm, I'd say about four years (laughs) uh, since I started this whole process. Um, So that's, you kind of have to go, you you can't, there is no, there is no precedent for that. Okay. You know, we know that we have, we know that in 1993, 1994, uh, Ebola Reston made it to, obviously, Reston, Virginia, mm-hmm. and it affected that entire monkey quarantine area, but it never transmitted to humans. So we saw the CDC respond, but before the CDC responded, they had to go through USMRAD, who they were fighting. They were fighting between the two about who's going to get the response first. That was like a week, like three days to a week. And if that had ever mutated and got out... What is USMRAD? You, I'm sorry, USMRAD is the uh, United States Army... Uh, United States Army Medical Infectious Disease okay. like people, Infectious Institute. Uh, and they're basically the Army's CDC. 
Okay. They have all the biological response capabilities, and they're one of the only one of two places in the United States that has a um, a hot agent, like a level four hot zone area. Hmm. So it's pretty cool, pretty terrifying. But they also have them and the CDC split the um, the pathogens, okay. the lethal pathogens. So when it came down to researching about how this is going to happen, you literally have to take past experiences and then you have to translate them into um, what you think would happen. And then from that, you have to triangulate it with already existing literature and then interviews. And then you have to say, okay, when I brought up, for instance, the whole the chimera virus thing that I'm talking about, when I brought that up to people, I say, Do you, are we prepared for this? And they're like, what's a chimera virus? <laughs> no one's ever thought about it. Like, no one's ever said, yeah, this is going to happen. If I had said, what do you think about an Ebola attack? an attack on the United States, it'd be like, eh, probably never happened. Like, no one's ready for this. And that's why it was very, it was very eye-opening to see all these things that are potentially out there that no one's been thought about. Mm -hmm. So how do you even prepare for something that is completely unprecedented? To right? expect the unexpected? Yeah. Just read. Be knowledgeable about what you have. Uh, be knowledgeable about, if you're in a place, let's say Virginia, or in a major populated area, LA, even Phoenix in some places, um, understand what you can do as, as a singular unit, like a singular entity. If you know that you know, there's a pathogen out there and that's been documented, what are you going to do? You're going to stay in place. Don't go outside. Wait until things pass. Because if you don't know who's infected or what's not, or what, if this thing's spreading rapidly, if it's airborne or not, wait until you hear it on the radio. You know, have a plan. Have food. Have, have shelter. And, but this is the same thing that it goes back to the zombie apocalypse. It's the same thing. It's a hurricane. It's a tornado. Have the basic essentials for, you know, two, three weeks until you have the ground truth, until mm. officials have said, this is what it is, this is what we recommend. Because leaving the safety of your home, you know, you're exposing yourself to risk. Mm. So that instinct to just, like, run and get the hell out when something <laughs> yeah. is, like, you got to suppress that and be like, no, stay in place, wait, learn what's actually happening. Because, yeah. like, where, where are you going to go? Exactly. Where are you going to go? Like, I know where I would go, but, I, I mean, I would stay in my house, number one. But if I had to go someplace, it would be away from people. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, some, pla some places don't have that ability. Mm -hmm. L.A. does not have the ability to get out on a quick notice in a non-populated area unless you're on the fringes. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, do we? Hmm? we? I mean, I don't even know if we do. Like the I-17 and the 87, they get packed on a Sunday, right? Yeah. Like, so. So in your case, in here in the desert, you have a great opportunity to just pick up and walk. Uh, <laughs> like, I would just be walking to the desert. I'd be like, well, you know, I'd rather take my chances in the desert than, you know, me dying in a pool of soup on my floor. That's just my own personal opinion. I'd rather take my chances with the snakes and scorpions. Sure. Um, because at least, you know, at least any any decent, like, person that has anything about them that says, I'm going to live through this experience will find a way to live. Okay. It, it just takes that kind of drive. It's like, if you yeah. want to live, you'll live. But you also need water. Yeah, yeah. Right, so. and around here, like, that can be an issue. It could be. It could be, which is, again, you know, I always I talk about in some of the podcasts that I've done is that, you know, pick up a book. Like, pick up, like, how to like a book called How to Survive in the Woods or How to Live in the Woods. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. It's a great so. book. Except in the desert, a lot of that stuff doesn't apply. But it does. It does, <laughs> though. It does. It does. Shelter building, water finding, it all applies. It's just you have to know how to use it. Okay. But yeah. the ecology is Is different, much different. Right? I mean, Absolutely. I feel like so much of the, you know survivalist stuff is like in the woods in right. the woods but then it's like what about us here <laughs> in, the in the desert <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no yeah you're, you're absolutely correct that's it's a major change mm -hmm. um i mean trust me but i would rather deal with 120 degree dry heat rather than the 90 degree you know 100 percent humidity in virginia <laughs> <laughs> yeah so 
just, I mean, just read a book. It, it really comes down to that. It's like if you have the basic instincts to survive, plus you have a little bit of knowledge, you can do a lot. Hmm. But there's a lot of fear, I think, too, oh, right? Yeah. About like, you know, just if you're in a situation and all the infrastructure that you're used to is not in place, mm -hmm. it just, I mean, that I think can feel completely overwhelming, right? Like how, how would you even function if the electricity went out? For a yeah, long time, right? Sure. Like what people are dealing with in California. California. Yeah, I, that, you're absolutely correct. Fear is a huge motivator. And people do irrational things when they're scared. Hmm. Like leaving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they cause more problems. Mm -hmm. Or looting. Uh -huh. When you, you know, rescue that 65-inch plasma. <laughs> uh, but there's no power, so. But there's no power, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, fear makes people do irrational things. And, to create, and that creates more issues for everybody else. Why do you think that is? Why do people do things that are irrational when they're afraid? Honestly, it could be. A, I think it can be a number of a couple number number of things. It could be, you know, a naturalization to movies. Let's think about this for a second. Any okay. movie that you've seen, zombie movie, let's say, right? Uh -huh. What is the first thing people do? They are running around, crazy, <laughs> breaking into things, trying to get out of the city. That's uh -huh. one reason, you know, naturalization or, or normalization to that kind of response. Mm -hmm. It could be uh, they don't know any better, that all they know is that a crisis is happening. And what have they been told? Get out of a bad situation. Mm -hmm. You know, the fight or flight. You're, you're going to flee a bad situation. Okay, well, that means get out and go join the masses, you know, and become mm -hmm. sheep, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if maybe part of it is like a, a scale issue, right? Like we're so used to things that are stressful or things that might make us fearful that are localized, right? And if it, and if that's what you're used to, then yeah, get the fuck out. Yeah. But if it's everywhere, right. then you can't just run and get away. In fact, sure. leaving where you're at could be the biggest risk if you're right. somewhere that's relatively True. But most secure. people don't realize where... Most people don't realize the, the gravity of the situation. Mm -hmm. They know that their little world yeah. is being threatened. Right. And so part of what you're saying is like, you have to resist the urge to just run away right away, get some more information about the scale uh, <laughs> of the problem, absolutely. and then make a strategy after you absolutely. understand the scale. Well, you make a strategy before and then alter it to make sure it's mm. valid after. Mm -hmm. So how would you get that information actually like in a zombie apocalypse of what the scale is. I mean, are communication systems still going to be sure. working? And like, yeah, you know. yeah. So communication systems will still be working for, depending on how bad this is, probably about a week, right? You'll still have the radio. You'll still have your cell phones. As long as it's charged, you'll still have your cell phones. Mm -hmm. And you know people in today, social media, they'll be updating all the time. And, you know, the world is coming to an end, repent. Um, <laughs> but you'll know for about a week about what's going on. And once, if the communications cease, just the cease and the lack of communications coming out of the federal government or out of an agency is a tipper in itself. Like you, we've lost comms. Okay, there is something egregious happening. Mm. So the lack of comms can be a tipper. If you have comms and then it comes out as this is what it is, mm -hmm. it'll give you directions. And then you base upon you base upon the common sense versus the directions. Okay, what is it telling me to do? If you're if you're mm -hmm. still with it, you're not stressed yeah. out, and your mind hasn't gone black yet. Yeah. Or you're overloaded. Then you'll have to go. Okay, these are the instructions that I'm being given. 
let's weigh the pros and cons of actually uh-huh. doing this. I have, you know, let's say, you know, I have kids, I have a dog, uh-huh. I have a cat, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. How is that going to affect everybody? Yeah. Vice just me. And maybe also what's the information that you have with your own senses mm-hmm. on the ground where you're at? Because the comms may be coming out of somewhere where the situation is different, right? right? It might so. be coming out of DC and I'm in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like 150, 200 miles away. Yeah. So, so really our, in these scenarios, right, our options are stay home and ride it out. Go out and try to get food, mm-hmm. I guess, at some point, right? And leave to try to find a place that's farther from, right, to relocate. Yeah. Would those, you say, be the sort of three main? I'd say those are pretty good options. I'd say instead of, I'd say stay where you are during the initial portions of it. Uh-huh. Then you can go stay where you are branch out further and further further and further as the weeks go on to judge where that danger zone is. Okay. So create yourself a buffer zone. And then if need be, then leave. Because remember, you're already safe where you are now. Right. It's just you have to develop where you can and cannot go. That's you also you need to you need to acquire food and things like this where right. you are, right? Right. But leaving but like I said, leaving that safety is not necessarily going to guarantee you food. So yeah. In right. most cases, some most people like I have like a thirty day supply of food, like but that's rationing it. You know, that's a little freeze dried stuff. Uh-huh. Um, most people don't. Most people have enough food in their fridge to last, you know, three four days. Uh-huh. Once everything's calmed down, then it becomes and we could go down the rabbit hole on this one a lot, but then it becomes reliance on yourself and reliance on your friends. You know, if they're still alive, uh-huh. uh, and then once it progresses into the full blown apocalypse where everything is now the crisis is well crisis is over the world is now in chaos now it becomes you have to forge to survive right and whether that means going door to door taking that risk of searching other homes or finding food where you don't where you might not find it originally like you might have to go further than what you used to to find that food but you always have a base to come back to that's your stronghold mm-hmm. you have a shelter you have the ability to stay in that place the zombies aren't going to break into the house if it's a zombie apocalypse, they're not going to break into the house. They just can't. As long as you're quiet, they're not going to come. It's the other people you got to worry about. <laughs> right. That's where it comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, so zombies are the least of your worries. <laughs> right. So sort of when we're, there's like phases here, right? There's like the initial mm-hmm. zombie apocalypse where it's like the infectious agent yep. that is the problem and the, you know, zombies that are infected by it. But then in the kind of trying to get some semblance of civilization and society again, Post zombie apocalypse—that's where the real challenges come in, right? And what most <laughs> but the people, other humans, yeah, yeah, yeah the other humans. Yeah. And what most people don't want to don't want to realize or don't want to accept is that there is a degree of normalcy that can be obtained during this whole thing. But but the first thing is accepting that nothing will ever be the same. Mm. That's what most people don't want to let go of. I don't I don't want I don't want to let go of my cell phone. I don't want to let go of Google. I don't want to let go of Facebook. Okay, well, now you've just reverted back to, like, the 1800s. Mm-hmm. You have to accept that. And once you accept it, the degree of normalcy can then return. Because now you know that this is the way things are until mm-hmm. something else happens. Right. And I think people are really – there's a lot of individual differences and in how willing people are to be like, hmm, all right, things are totally different now. Let's see what we can do, mm-hmm. right? Versus, like, no, go back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I tried, to, I tried to give up my cell phone. For six months, I even bought a like one of those little like candy bar cell phones. Uh-huh. It's like just a phone, like, like just yeah. a phone, and maybe sure. maybe text message. Uh-huh. I lasted three days. Really, <laughs> I lasted three days. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I was like, oh, this is gonna be easy. No, it mm-hmm. wasn't. So, why did you decide to give that a try? 
I think there's way too much reliance on technology. That's just my own personal opinion. I think that we are so connected to the net, as it were, that we have to have immediate gratification when it comes to emails. We have to have immediate gratification when it comes to, uh, like, Facebook. You know, we have to have, oh, we want people to give us praise, you know, mm-hmm. immediate gratification on a lot of different levels. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I can just check email when I get home. But the problem is we've all been programmed now that it's like if I text you or I message or I email you, I want immediate response. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to wait. And that is affecting us as a whole nation, as a world. You know, this whole this whole idea that we have to sustain ourselves on technology and it's going to cause major problems if anything yeah. happens. Well, and it sounds like what you're saying is also that we have kind of unwittingly all zombified each other. Absolutely. Right, by expecting that everyone is going to be on technology in this yeah. way, that they'll be liking our posts and rep- responding to our texts and yeah. getting back to the email within a half hour. Or yeah. Go look around look around campus, and all you got to do is look and see how many people look at their heads down with their phones in their hands. Yeah. Sure. It's unreal. It's unreal. And the technology will not help us in the uh, in the end. Yeah, right. So, so what? how bad would it have to be before something like, Google went down or something like the internet went down. You know what I mean? Like how much of the population needs to survive in order okay. to keep, well, keep Google alive? Keep Google yeah. alive, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let's let's kind of rephrase that because alive and actually showing up to work are two different things. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, like, that's in order the thing. To like keep I would say you have about a week and a half. This is just Cameron Carlson saying. A week and a half of like, what, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a thing that's like, like, Google, like, of, like how big of a disaster are we talking about? Is 10% of the population being wiped out? Is 90% of the population uh, being wiped out? I'd say it's key people, but I'd say maybe about 30 to 40. So if 30, 40, 30 to 40% of the population gets wiped out, then Google... The internet will out. cease. Does Google have a zombie apocalypse plan? I'm sure they do. It's <laughs> Google. I'm sure they right? do. Right? Like, they're going to barricade mm-hmm. and, like, keep so, so, quarantine so what, area. So, and, so, yeah. you're saying, so when 30% of the population is gone, then... That's when people sort of stop leaving their houses and stop going to work. Is that sort of what well? Honestly, I mean, if you, I don't even think it has to be like a. It ha, I don't think it necessarily has to be a number, because the fear, like we talked about earlier, the fear is going to set in, and people aren't going to come to work anyway. Okay. Like they're not. So, they're going to realize that. Okay, I have to take care of my family. I'm not going to work. Okay, I could see that. I yeah. could see. I'm yeah, not. Once, I'm yeah, not working even, on the satellites to make sure that they still stay in orbit. I'm not working. About, I'm not worried about the net. You know, if if a pandemic or a zombie apocalypse is happening, I'm not going to work. Okay. Or, they can or deal with themselves. Or I mean, are I have no idea. I'm completely just speculating here. But I know that a lot of the mentality of a lot of the Silicon Valley companies is that they're like a fortress. Like they have the food. They mm-hmm. have you know places where you can hang out. Like are people gonna like take their families to work if they're at a workplace That's... that is already very almost like. We are providing for you. <laughs> it's a it's a good possibility. It's a it's a really good possibility. And and obviously, I don't work in Silicon yeah. Valley. I'm not that smart. Um, but it's a possibility. But then you uh-huh. also have to think. Okay, Silicon Valley for some of these companies are set up for their employees. They have rations yeah. for their employees. They have power for X amount of days. Yeah. How do you deal with that when you introduce mm-hmm. like four extra people in some cases? Yeah. But I, I mean, I hadn't ever thought of this honestly no. until this very moment. But like, I'm even thinking like here. This building that we're in, this would be a way better place to hunker down than my house, oh, right? So, like, would, like in what sense? Like, it's way more defensible. Um, uh, potentially, yeah. Yeah. But potentially, does it have the, food the brutalist storage? architecture? No, it's, <laughs> it's like no. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, you still have stairs. Those are issues. Mm-hmm. So you have to 
barricade those off. Uh-huh. But again, it doesn't come down to zombies. It comes down to people. They mm-hmm. want your stuff. They're going to figure out a way to try and take it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why I was wondering if it's like it's almost worth going to a farm. You know, it seems like I think I'm trying to think of places that would have like sight lines and yeah. defendable, uh-huh. defendable borders. Uh-huh. Yeah. And food, you know, yeah, like and food. A place with a lot of food and a lot yeah. of water, which is why when people well, when people say, well, where are you going to go? Well, I'm going to go to the woods. Do you have any idea what it takes to survive in the woods? Yeah. Like you could do it, but even a trained survivalist still has issues. Right. Like. I don't really people don't really <laughs> walk through that in their heads. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go to the woods. Cool. Got a plan? Do you know what berries are poisonous? No? I give you 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well then that also brings up the issue that if a lot of people are like, I'm gonna go to the farm or the woods or whatever, like it's gonna be crowded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not getting away from, you know. No, you always have people. Yeah. Always have people, unless you're in like Montana. Mm-hmm. then there's a lot of land. Yeah. Well, so this kind of then brings us to, like, some of the questions that we ended up talking about a little bit at um, at your ZAM talk, mm-hmm. the last ZAM meeting, about um, in the zombie apocalypse when, you know, we can speculate that humans have, like, you know, we figured out how to, like, form some, you know, groups or tribes or yeah. whatever um and, but maybe there's some people who are out on their own still and if you're you know on your own um how do you actually forge connections and figure out like you know if someone is someone you can trust mm-hmm. and or show that you're trustworthy right. so yeah, would could you maybe like give a little rundown of like what kind of landscape that might be like and what tips you would give for people and yeah we can, um, and then we could chat more about the, the so, details. Sure. Yeah, I'm screwed. Uh-oh. Um, I'm screwed <laughs> if you're because screwed, I'm, then I'm screwed us. because <laughs> I want to. Because I say that because when it comes to forging relationships like that, I'm a very open person. Mm-hmm. I'm a very trusting person by nature. As in, in, in the apocalypse, that's probably not going to do very well. I'm going to probably trust. May, I might trust the wrong person. When it comes to other people, and when it comes to forging relationships based upon almost nothing. Mm-hmm it becomes a kind of a dance. Like we were talking about during Zam, it kind of comes as a dance. It's like you have to look at it as much from a, a game theory standpoint mm-hmm. of how is this going to, how is this outcome going to play? Is this going to be good for me and good for them? Which then that makes us basically a symbiotic relationship and now we can roll through the apocalypse together. Yeah. Or is this individual looking to do me harm and do I need to get away from this? Otherwise he's going to take myself as a lose for me, win for them, right? Yeah. So it's almost a very – it's a statistical like analysis. It's like, what am I going to do? So if you find somebody that you might know or you might not and you have to look at that person and go – basically, it's like, who makes the first move? Like, hey, mm-hmm. what's going on? Hey, the, Cam. Hey. What's up? What's up? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, this is a really <laughs> shitty situation. Yeah, it's pretty shitty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that right there binds us because we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. You know, but if I start seeing you eyeing what I have, like you want my rifle or something or some random thing, like I have a thing of food. Uh-huh. If I start seeing that, then it becomes very tense. Mm-hmm. So you have to say, you have to break it. Like it's just, it's, it's almost like a normal meeting of somebody at a, like a, a, outside. Uh-huh. You know, now it's kind of like you break that, that wall down, that uh-huh. like initial suspicion. Be like, where are you from? You know, you just break the ice. Yeah. And then if it's really defensive, then you know you got a problem, you need to get out. Uh-huh. You know, or deal with that mm-hmm. threat before mm-hmm. it deals with you. Mm-hmm. But if you find common ground, 
then you begin to forge that relationship and then that becomes a strong relationship and that process repeats itself over and over and over until you have enough people in that group, maybe four people, maybe three people, just enough that you know that you can get through it and that you can delegate tasks and people can lean on you and you can lean on them. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you don't need anybody else. It's all just depending on how you want to run it. Mm-hmm. But the more people you have, the more difficult it becomes. Yeah, but you also know? the more people you have, the more formidability you have, sure, right? right? So yeah, it's a trade-off. That, that, that horde mentality, mm-hmm. you know, where there's one, there's always more. Now, mm-hmm. now, there's also a trade-off, like, in both zombie scenarios and disease scenarios of bigger groups can be a bigger infection risk. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. How would that affect, sort of... Social organization in yeah, the zombie apocalypse? Because exactly. so, normally yeah. I would think... Bigger groups would probably be good in survival situations, mm-hmm. right? Well, it depends. <clears throat> it depends on resource allocation. Mm-hmm. The more people you have, the more resources you need. If, sure. you, if you can't provide those resources, then you run the potential of somebody being like, well, you can't take care of my needs, so I think I can do it better. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a problem with rebellion on your hands. You're like, great, just what I need. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, However, assuming you have resources. Assuming right? you have resources, yeah. right. You might not. I mean, everyone right, might just be like, okay, well, we're screwed right. anyway. At least we're together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but from like a pandemic, the problem is it's like, if one person gets bit or one person gets infected and you don't know about it, like it takes, let's say it takes time, uh, unlike 28, or not 28 days later, um, World War Z, where it takes 15 seconds to turn, okay, that's not going to happen unless some biological miracle happens that I don't know about. But if that person turns and you're not, you don't know it, that person then has the ability to infect everybody else. Right. Or and that right. disease can spread. Yeah, I, I think this is like one of the most creepy things about the whole zombie idea is that, you know, if someone who you love is infected, Absolutely. then your very emotions towards that individual end up becoming a vulnerability, right? Like, imagine, I mean, I hate to bring it up because it fucking sucks to even think about it, but like if one of your kids yeah. was infected, like, sure. <clears throat> I mean... Oh. Yeah. yeah, like uh, yeah, you're <laughs> right. right. Like, like that look right yeah. there, Dave. It was yeah. just like, oh, what am I gonna do? <laughs> you know. But well, I'm trying to think because if one of your kids gets infected with a disease, right? Like I, Ebola, I guess you quarantine the kid, right? Yeah. Like that's what happens, yeah. and because you don't want yeah. everyone else to get infected. And so. But if they're like irreversibly turned into a zombie, that. I mean, I think it's still then, a matter of court, right? You yeah. still, still separate shitty, them from the group. Yeah, and, but right. then you have to deal with that. Like deal with yeah. the emotional, the, the emotional yeah. ramifications, the psychological, sure, like because maybe you might be able, to, you might not be able to quarantine that individual. Right. So you have to right. You either yeah. leave the person behind, or you well, you deal kill with the it. person. Yeah, yeah, you deal. So with it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's so, a shitty situation all around. I mean, yeah, but it's like you know, I mean, and I, I, I guess I kind of expand this out to thinking about like other kinds of zombification and stuff. Like you know, if you have an entity that is taken over by another entity then that entity that's doing the taking over can actually, like, benefit from all of the connections mm-hmm. that that zombie has to the outside world, right? It's like... <laughs> so it's like you can be, like, the way they, like, diseases can manipulate you and the people around you. It might even... Is that what you mean? Like, well, that too, but, but like, just the fact that, you know, the, like, we are potential vehicles for like other interests, right? Like, you know, disease vectors (laughs) or other people who hijack us, right? You know, sometimes people um, get brainwashed and they do crazy shit, right? Um, So we as humans, we're pretty vulnerable 
to being hijacked, um, or we maybe not pretty vulnerable, but we are vulnerable. It does happen. And then when it does happen, those agents of zombification can basically benefit from those social connections that we have and the way that people respond to us in order to have themselves propagated. Because we are social creatures. Because we're yeah. social. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's this like weird thing where, you know, not only is your vehicle like yourself, right, hijacked, but um, it could it could be used in ways that are like so counter to your own evolutionary interests. If like, so I'm going to just be morbid here. Like, so say you're a kid, right? And like uh-huh. you get infected with some zombie virus that makes you, you know, like irreversibly a zombie who just wants to consume flesh and turn other people into zombies. Um, you could then basically, you know, go against, quote, your evolutionary interests, right, by attacking those who are closest to you. And you might have the best opportunity to do that because those are the people who really, you know, care about you. Right. And so, so it's like, it can, it can basically turn your evolutionary interests like inside out if you're hijacked, because those individuals who you're super close to, then they become more vulnerable to the infection because of that social bond and the fact that, you know, underlying it, you have shared genetic interests. So they're the ones who are closest, who are most wanting to help you. But if you're already gone and you're a zombie, then... It's game over anyway. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of how it works with disease anyway, right? Like if if you have, if someone in your family gets sick, then you're going to be more likely to get sick, right? Because you're around that person. And Mm -hmm. and I imagine that's a... Yeah, that's, that's, why when, that's why when it works, yeah. when people, someone has the flu and their kids have the flu, and be like, yo, bro, I'm like, my kids have got the flu, you might want to back up. And then you'd be like, no, bro, what's going on? You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> some of your water, cool. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, of course, that's what's going to happen because you never take those warnings, or like some people might be like, oh, I'm going to go over here. Well, guess what? Your trope's probably going to get sick because it's in a, it's in an enclosed area. So, yeah, it will yeah. go against everything that we know, like, yeah. socially. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's, it's kind of crazy and creepy how like the whole zombification dynamic can like not just hijack your own self but then like branch out Mm -hmm. into your social network and your kin network and get you to actually do things that are really against your fitness interests potentially you as the vehicle yeah and the one thing that we don't want to do is we don't want to lock ourselves away because we need that social interaction we crave that like oh i'll take care of you help me Mm -hmm. you know well sorry but yeah but then it's like now we're back to the issue of like the humanity right and like if we can't actually keep our you know motivation to help others and take care of those who are close to us and all of that alive in the zombie apocalypse then you know we have become the monsters right sort of (laughs) but sort of like what what is good for the greater good though like you think about the greater good right you if one family member gets infected and you have multiple other ones what is the greater good? The greater good is to deal with, unfortunately, as unpleasant it may be, that greater good is dealing with that individual. So you're still maintaining humanity, but you're also you're also dealing with mm-hmm. that, and that's going to affect you hugely across all boundaries. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we remember season three of The Walking Dead when Carol shot the little girl in the back of the head because she was creating a, a dangerous situation for the entire group, mm-hmm. huh, that's completely out of our norm. Like, who mm-hmm. would ever do that? Yeah. But... Still in humanity, she was deal- dealing with the rest of the group. Like, mm-hmm. what can we do to deal with this? 
Yeah. It's super morbid. Yeah. And I mean, it's the kind of thing we don't have to face in our day to day lives, luckily. <laughs> Thank God. Right? <laughs> I mean, but there are situations where things like that, you know, those kinds of dilemmas mm-hmm. can arise. Absolutely. And challenge us, like, to, you know, what does it actually mean to deal with this in a human way? Mm. How far can we take it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so Cam, um, total downer. Yeah. Yeah. Let's bring this, let's bring this <laughs> back downer. into a little more like fun zombie apocalypse. Sorry. I brought up the whole like children <laughs> zombie thing. My bad. Um, all right. So now we're just talking about like, you know, Cam, you're out there, you're in, let's say the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, you come, you know, you're on your own. You come to another group of a couple of people. You're talking about some strategies for how you might approach people at the last ZAM meeting. Maybe share with us a little bit some potential sure. strategies. You know, how would you go about um, introducing yourself and, uh, you know, figuring out if it's going to work out to, yeah. to join up with a group or Absolutely. not? Um, so if I'm out there and, and come across a group of, group of individuals that I don't know, a uh, couple things you can look for. You, re- you need to do recon days, days of recon, because, you know, watching a group for an hour is not going to tell you anything. So you're just going to spy on them for a while? Absolutely. And hope that they're not like, ooh, there's somebody who's Absolutely. going to shoot you? Absolutely. Well, if they shoot me, then I know that they're bad. So that kind of just, okay, we're good. Not these people. Um, but yeah, you're definitely going to want to watch them for a couple of days. You know, maybe come back, maybe leave, come back. You okay. Know, if you can observe them safely from a distance. Um you can watch, um, and it's interesting because if, and I was thinking about this earlier, if they have kids in the group, if they have animals with them in the group, mm. the way that everybody treats the animals or the, treats the kids is a very good indication of how they'll accept outsiders. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, mean people mm-hmm. will treat animals just that way, mm. pretty much just as they're animals. But if they actually care about the animal, if they're a family pet, and if they actually care at that point about this individual or about the kids then you know you have a higher chance basically just based on that emotion alone being accepting at least open to seeing a new person, mm. being a new face. Mm. Um, once you've done the research and you see that, well, they're not doing anything, you know, what you consider illicit, like murder, cannibalism, things of that nature, which are pretty bad. <laughs> so um, stay away from murderers and cannibals in the I would say that's, yeah, right? say that's no, a pretty I, I good... Was, I wasn't sure how far along, because there's a point in the apocalypse where I'm like, yeah, that's just what you do. It's just right? normal. Yeah. It's really, what... really depressing to me. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> just, I'm noted. <laughs> noted. Dave, I'm staying away. Sorry, buddy. Uh, Look, I'm just going to tell you. Also, just while we're at it, I would have killed whichever one of my kids got infected, and I would expect them to kill me. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I think, so I think that's a know. lot of people. Yeah. That's so, a lot of people. Uh, it's like. My wife, would de- my wife would differ. Like, oh, my gosh. Can you imagine if something happened to my dog? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be terrible. Yeah. But if we had a dog, we would eat the dog. Like three days in, Google would still be up and we'd have eaten the dog. <laughs> so maybe maybe I'm not the one. Uh, <laughs> Dave, you're making me sad, man. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, so, okay, so in this scenario, we're going back to science. Yeah. <laughs> not Dave, you so the dog. Is, Got it. We're, okay. we're now at a point where murder is still fairly You rare, just watched right? Dave's it's group not, eat the dog. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Um, because you know, you know they have other revenue. Like, if they just eat the dog because the dog is there, well, I'm out. Sorry, bro. Um, mm. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Depending on how many there are, I mean, you know, you could, you could engage. I mean, you if you really wanted to go down that path, 
Um, but if you find that they are, if you find that they're pretty docile and they're just kind of trying to survive, then approaching them very cautiously, like with hands mm-hmm. up, no, nothing on you, put all your, put all your valuables someplace else because mm-hmm. you don't know these people yet. So approach hands up, very, very non-threatening and then let them make the first move. Don't walk up and be like, stop, bro. I'm here, you know, like all <laughs> aggressive and like all like, you know, pr- like it would be really hard for me. Um, but you just approach them non-threateningly and see what happens. So what would you say? Like, say that you are approaching me and Dave. We didn't just eat a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Good. What Good. would you? <laughs> uh, first out of my mouth would be like a greeting. Like okay. hands up. So, yep. Just good morning. Wait. See the reaction. All right. What do you think, Dave? I mean, I, my offer, I would offer you. Like, dog? I, I would offer dog? Some, yeah, I'd be like, look, I've got some roast dog. And I might even just leave it. Like, I, that would be my first thing is if I was trying to, like... But, yeah, but if I see you and you're, like, hands up, uh, I guess, I mean, I'd probably say hello. How's it going? Okay. So. Okay. Ass clowns won't say hello. They will attack you, most likely. Hmm. Uh, or they'll just guns up right away mm. without having to say, if you say hello to me, I'll just, then I can say, you know, sure. this is who I am. I, I noticed you... You know, I've been, I've been, and you can be really creepy about this, but I've been watching you for a couple of days, you know, just trying to feel things out because at that point you're explaining yourself, you're explaining what your thought process is and that you're not a threat. You know, you just, you, you're not threat to them. You are literally just there to, to, you know, you're a group of people. I've been alone by myself for X amount of days. You know, I heard, I overheard voices. I came to check it out and you explain yourself, let that, and then you just let it progress naturally. So what do you think, Dave? Uh... Well, should we should, should we, we invite him in? Let him in. Well, well, we don't have any resources, so we're planning <laughs> we're planning to take over a farm right now, and we got to figure out if you're up for it. I think okay, it might stuff might go down. Right. So uh, you so know. then you so now you now you introduced a whole new avenue of thinking here. So it's like okay, do I help these people commit this crime that I know is going to be wrong? That's probably going to be someone killed, but I need the resources too. And if I say yes. <laughs> See, this, if I say yes, then they'll probably let me go. If I say no, they're going to off me because they know what I'm about to do and I can go tell that individual. Oh, that you're going to go tell the person. The, oh, that's interesting because then you can go tell whoever is now. Exactly, because if you're one of those people that don't want to see ill harm to fall to anybody else, then you're going to probably try and stop this, which is, it's all cyclical now because you're like, okay, well, I don't know what to do, you know, or you could be like, time out. Like if you, mm-hmm. right. and again, you're not going to gain their trust within a day. And if they're going to go uh-huh. do this tomorrow, you might just say, okay, see you later, bye-bye and roll yeah. out but then you're still going to be faced with the moral dilemma of, do I tell this individual that's about to get greased, yeah. you know, in the farm? Right. I mean, I guess it also still, I, for some reason, I still think, and maybe even in the scenario, I'm thinking we're in more desperate situation. Like, cause we're each trying to assess, right. How desperate the actual yeah. situation. And it seems like right now in this scenario, I'm a little more desperate than, or I'm thinking things are more dire than you guys. Right. Yeah. And you're so, eating dog. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sorry, look, I keep going back to this. Like, I, I haven't gotten a text message in three days, right? I'm, I'm, Twitter is down. Crazy, so. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it, but those. I mean, this is this is this is really like this is real life scenarios. Like, this isn't just happening now, or it's not happening in the future. It's happening now in like you know major disaster areas. But I mean, so there is a point in disaster, like you were saying, right, where things people where society starts to sort of collapse and it becomes yeah. a sort of everybody for mm-hmm. themselves thing, yeah. right? And then. Like, cause I, and I, and I think as we're playing out this sort of thing, I'm imagining we're, that my character, I guess, is thinking we're already in that, right? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you guys are still like, hold on, we're not there yet, mm-hmm. right? So as 
an individual, if this were to really happen, how do you know? Like, how, cause it's, there's a thing where you sort of, I don't think you want to be, you don't want to jump the gun on that, right? You don't want to be the person who tries to then take over Google, like, <laughs> you know, the first day. I need it. Like, or, but you also don't want to be the last person, you know what I mean? Who's like, and well, so. You, you have common examples of this now. When the infrastructure and when laws break down, uh-huh. people begin to take matters into their own hands. Look at Somalia. Yeah. There is no government, or yeah. what little government there is, is corrupt. Right. You have vigilantes, you have pirates, you have all these different people vying for a piece of the pie. Right. And they're all basing this off of what they believe is correct. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's, it's not unheard of. It's happening now. Um, and you literally just have to look at those people and say, how did they get there? You know, right. What drove them to that point of establishing a hierarchy, basically? You know, because you know right off the bat that there was obviously there's been warring there for, for you know, tens and tens, 20, 30 years, even further back than that. But if that becomes the norm and you first start out with, I need to go take this over because if I don't, somebody else will. Right. And I go, maybe we should hold up. I run the risk of losing out while you may take this over and then I'm screwed anyway. Right. Exactly. Right. It's like that. Cause there's a thing where it's like, let's say it collapses. Right. And then I've gone and tried to take over this farm or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, at least I can eat, you know, like there's a point right. me that thinks I'm like, I don't, when I, when I think about, you know, Somali pirates and they're trying to, you know, feed their families, right. like what they're doing is right to say that that, to yeah, that that is a morally wrong decision. Right. Especially it when it's, like, you understand what they're trying to do. Yeah. But in the well, same token, you in this situation are an immediate antagonist because it's only three days in. You're like, I need to go take this over. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think, <laughs> like, I mean, all right. I, all I think right. I was trying to sort of, esta- I was trying to figure out where we were in this scenario as we were discussing yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, so now we're back in the scenario. I've got a question for you, sure. Cam, which is uh, what kind of skills do you have that might be relevant to why we should oh boy. let you join our group? Oh boy. Uh, well, <laughs> I know how to survive in the woods, I, well, loosely, I guess, at this point. Okay. Um, All right, well, so like foraging. Foraging, trapping, hunting. That seems pretty good to me. You what know, do you think, Dave? Sure. I'm a blacksmith. You know, blacksmith. I can, oh, I can make blades. So, yeah. I know how to forge. So. Uh, okay. I know how to make weapons. Yeah. Those are, those are all really good. Neither of lot. us really can do any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. let's, hope, let's hope he doesn't interview us. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when you bring skills, yeah. So it's kind of like, it is an audition. Right. You know? Yeah. And we talked about that, I think, at Sam. Yeah, yeah. Well, because we were talking about, you know, like, do you bring gifts? Do you bring stuff or not? Right. Like, as you're approaching. Yeah, it's and a that, possibility, yeah. You know, like, if you bring, if you bring all of your stuff, then if the thing that's most valuable about you is the stuff you're bringing, then, then you know, then what's the point of keeping you around? Right. Although it would right? still, it would convey, I can get stuff, right? Like, True. So if I, you know, if I yeah. just look leave, what like, I can yeah, do. I'm yeah. watching your family and I just leave some food. I leave a can of beans or whatever. And then yeah. if that's rare, then it sort of indicates, mm-hmm. all right, A, I'm willing to be a part of the group. And right. B, yeah. I have access to some amount of food. Yeah. Right. right. And so, yeah. and then you seems- can, or you could just right. openly do that and be like, Hey, I'm so-and-so I bring this. Think about it for a second. I'd like to be, you know, yeah. I'd like to become friends and then leave and then just watch from a different spot. Be like, I'm going to be over there, uh-huh. but then be yeah. over here watching what's about to happen. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think the question of like, what you know do you approach with stuff slash gifts 
supplies, et cetera, or not, like probably a lot of that would come down to what information you gather from watching the group, right? Like if, you know, you're watching and you see them just like, you know, shooting anything that approaches, um, then, you know, maybe you don't want to go in at all, (laughs) let alone go in there with stuff. And this also assumes that this is strangers, right? Because it seems like, I would imagine the first thing I would do is I would reach out to my existing social network, right? It'd start with my family and Mm -hmm. then probably close friends, people that I trust yeah. now. Yeah. And so... We always we, we, we always talk about, like, you know, you have friends that are like, well, I'm coming to your house during the zombie apocalypse. People say it all the time. I have friends that say it all the time. They're like, well, we're going to come to your house because you have all the guns. Mm-hmm. Okay, good call, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I say the same thing. Hey, I'm going to come to your house with this plus them, and we're all going to make, a you know, a commune. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. You would obviously start with the groups, you know, until people die off, which it will eventually happen, unfortunately. Um, and then you're forced to find new friends. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're talking, you're talking like years. Like yeah. You could probably survive years without having to do that. Cam, you bring up a really interesting <laughs> point, though, which is that I think for those of us who are sort of thinking about the zombie apocalypse on a regular basis, <laughs> <laughs> we're also thinking about, like, our Z teams, and maybe we're doing it in half-joking terms. No, we're not. But <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. This is serious stuff right now. But, yeah, I know at the same time, there's, like, you know, like, who would actually be on your Z team? Like, who yeah. is someone who you know that you could rely on, right. someone who, you know, hopefully brings some skills to the table, even if it's not conventional zombie apocalypse skills, right? Yeah. Like, somebody might just be really good at negotiating. Right. And, like, that could be really yeah. important in the zombie apocalypse. Every skill is important, depending yeah. on, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Every skill is important. Yeah. But I feel like you kind of have to know a little bit about people's hidden talents. Absolutely. Right, because you're not necessarily going to see, like, at work, like, oh, Cam can, you know, forge metal, or um, Dave is really great at roasting dogs. Like, those aren't things... <laughs> Dog souffle. <laughs> ...that you necessarily get to see in your day-to-day interactions with people, so... Yeah. So, yeah. Like, you always, you, you know your core friends. Like, I have my friends that are architects. Like, okay, you guys are great at building something, you know. Brittany uh-huh. and Andy are great at building something. Scott and Anna... They raise chickens. They have, you know, you know, they can garden. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? I know where I'm taking everybody there. Mm-hmm. I have all the guns and the ammunition. Cool. Well, I'm bringing that with me. You know, you'll and, you'll protect the chickens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's, every skill is important. It's just depending on how you use it. Yeah, yeah. I think it also. I mean, it can be kind of fun to think about. Like, all right, what survival skills do I actually have that translate to you know uh, a world where we don't have all this infrastructure that mm-hmm. we just become completely dependent on i'm doomed by the way i'm realizing I'm like it's a while before somebody needs an immediate outreach program manager like, <laughs> <laughs> start to start acquiring new skills dave <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, maybe you get to a certain point, though, with the size of your group, and at least you need someone to do PR. <laughs> right? Well, we, we need someone slow. Oh, there we go. Someone <laughs> has to be eaten. So, you don't have to um, be the fastest, just faster than you. <laughs> um. so, so, Cam, um, when we're looking at, like, these potential mm-hmm. scenarios of the zombie apocalypse, like, how... How does it affect our own autonomy, right? So, because part of, like, what we talk about in Zombified is, like, you know, are these things happening around us? Do they challenge our autonomy? And, like, is it a problem? And I'm, I'm just thinking, like, when 
thing, you know, when disaster goes down, right? You are talking before about, like, how there's this sort of command and control military mm. response, right? And that can potentially impinge on people's autonomy, Absolutely. right? Um, but then there's also this sort of, like, grassrootsy kind of thing that happens where people often actually are coming in with wanting to help each other, mm-hmm. wanting to build those connections, wanting to even, like, build physical infrastructure and... Um, figure out how to take care of people, right? right? So you have a sort of, you know, on one hand, very autonomous, emergent, cooperative thing happening. And then you can also have like the, you know, government military response, which is supposed to be there to do good, but can maybe break up right. the autonomous yeah, right. kinds of things. Right. So, so you know, how do you see like autonomy... How, like changing like in these these stages and like is this something we should be thinking more about or so like you said <clears throat> in the in the initial stages of any disaster you'll see the grassroots people wanting to come in and do good you know yeah. help out everybody and then the military comes in and, and in cases fractures that you know and then kicks everybody out because they need the military needs to be able to conduct their operations mm-hmm. without being impeded by all of these people that wanted to help which is understandable from from a military standpoint but if you're fracturing the if you're fracturing the grassroots movement to bring in all these supplies you're cutting off a great logistics source Mm. um and in addition to in that case these grassroots individuals are coming in knowing that what they're doing is good and they'll be safe for a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. okay because when the military comes in they provide what do they provide they also provide safety like if the military's boots on ground, they know that these grassroots individuals, these individuals know that they'll be safe. When the military pulls out and that they are left there, then the, it's a possibility that looting and rioting begin. Um, you know, uh, harm may come to these individuals when they're just trying to, to, to provide sustenance and you know, survivability to these people. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as as far as later on in the phases, it becomes to <clears throat> can I sustain what I'm doing, what is what is being gained from this? Okay, this this crisis is going on much longer than I thought. This is not viable for me to keep doing this. So then they have to pull back, and the military is probably going to be still be there in a way, but I don't think that it's I don't think that kind of involvement is sustainable. You know, because you you may lose your autonomy in the beginning with the military coming mm-hmm. in. But then when the military leaves, you also lose that autonomy because you no longer have the freedom of movement and freedom of safety that you did when they were still here. Mm. Not to mention the population mm. may... So the whole situation is just going to end up constraining autonomy because yeah. of the uncertainty and danger and exactly. such. Yeah, exactly. that's interesting. And then when everything normalizes or, or stabilizes yeah. and the military is gone and the grassroots people are gone, that then situation becomes normal. So now you are, you are free to regain... Or resume your autonomous status mm-hmm. where you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the, it becomes the new normal. Yeah. So just like going really big picture now mm-hmm. for a minute about sort of zombies and zombification. If you look at sort of where we are now with like how the world is is functioning and the kinds of things that do already zombify us, the kinds of things that are, you know, potential threats Mm -hmm. that are maybe already affecting people in some parts of the world and we're sort of insulated from, um, you know, if things kind of keep going in the same way that they're going now, um, what do you think are going to be the biggest 
zombification threats in the future? Is it going to be an infectious disease that zombifies us that way? Or is it going to be technology? Or is it going to be um, our, you know, human relationships? Or like, you know, yeah. what what is the biggest zombification That's a really threat? Good, that's a really good question. Um, I would have to say technology would be the first thing that really creates our because it's already occurring. Our dependence on technology is staggering. Mm -hmm. And you take away somebody's cell phone and they're going to lose it. Um, mm -hmm. Like, just go off the deep end. <laughs> um, I mean, I tried it for they're three days, but I couldn't do it. Dave's going to try to take over a farm. Right, so. right. <laughs> and eat his dog. Yeah, he's going to be making Kung Pao Cat and, like, you know, all these other things. Um, Look, I, I had to survive, all right? <laughs> three days no in, judgment, yeah. No judgment. Yeah, three days in. <laughs> Um, I, I don't keep a lot of food in the fridge. So, you know. um, oh my god! <laughs> Orange pigeon, good. Um, I think, but I think technology is really gonna just look at the things that are happening now. Virtual reality, like immersive virtual reality, people depending on technology to get them through. You know, relationships, like we talked about earlier, relationships with machines. Like what? Like what? We have come so far from you know dial-up modems. You know, mm -hmm. and the internet being a being a, a thing, not just a normal thing, and it's all just gonna. I mean, and I hate to say it, but Skynet's gonna become self-aware. Mm. You know, like something's going to happen where we rely so much on this technology that it's going to become such a hindrance when we don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, Even if it doesn't become self-aware, it could still really fuck things up. Oh yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I, I spoke earlier today when we were meeting about the, the robot that can fire a gun and hit targets and be knocked down, roll over, and engage a target with a gun. Oh. Oh, that's a thing. That is an absolute thing. Wow. And it just, I mean, first we had the robot dogs, which were able to carry packs, and then it evolved to robots that can jump on boxes and do squats and have, like, have actual, like, you know, movements, like human mm -hmm. movements, and then it evolved to... Uh, articulated joints, and now it's evolved to like engaging targets with firearms. Wow! And what is the the time frame for this? Is not very long. Right? This was like a year and a half, two years. But I mean, like, so since the robot, the the backpack dogs, they were only a decade. They were, yeah. Right? So it was, it's, it's like, this is a very super fast, fast path, absolutely. So. Um, and not to mention the technology is there, or is there, or is currently being developed to create these pandemic viruses. I mean, biological warfare and biotesting has been around since you know the dark ages when they used to launch corpses infected with black plague over, I'm sorry, black death over castle walls. Uh, it's been around for, it's been around for ages. Um, and to think that we're not developing some super bug would be mm -hmm. kind of naive. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, maybe that's just, you know, conspiracy theorist, Cameron Carlson, but everything I've seen, the technology we have makes that available. So it's going to be technology, but technology is going to drive but us. But now what would we use that for? Because we wouldn't want a bug. We would out. not. Well, no, no, that's not true. Because in order to develop vaccines and, and things like that, we need to develop them, right? We need to develop, develop the, the superbugs to develop the vaccines. Okay, sure. But, <clears throat> you know, these are the things that we're dealing with. And mm -hmm. to think that somebody else out there is not with ill will developing these things in a no-kidding no lab in order to release... Look at the right. movie 12 Monkeys. That mm -hmm. could be something that's very possible in the future. Yeah. Well, and some people, they just want to fuck things up for everybody else. They want to watch the world burn. For the lols. Yeah, for the lols. <laughs> yeah, for the lols. <laughs> yeah, just for shits and giggles. All right. So given this completely apocalyptic 
conversation that we've <laughs> yeah, had. Yeah. Um, what are some practical pieces of advice for all of us for, you know, surviving yeah. if the zombie apocalypse does come or um, surviving the, you know, <laughs> techno-apocalypse that maybe yeah, we're the in Something right now? Yeah. <laughs> the techno-apocalypse, yeah. yeah. Low sticks and ecstasy. Um, <laughs> so this is just coming from me. You know, this is everybody's going to have their own opinion. But my biggest thing, and we've already touched on it once, my biggest tip is to read. Mm. Read. Like, read everything you can, even though, you know, some of it may be out there. But read about what is going on in the world. You know, read about politics that are going on because the politics often drive the, the you know, economic and political situation in, this, mm. in the areas that we live. Read how to, you know, basic survival skills, read medical, read, you know, read how to shoot, you know, go take classes, you know, train. And it doesn't have to be like, I'm not saying every day for the next six months, you shall do this, but pick up a book, you know, mm -hmm. learn how to survive, learn how to like do sutures, like, you know, on like a piece of meat or something. Like if you're bored, you know, that's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> go get some chicken. Go get some chicken. You know, <laughs> go take some twine and sew it up, you know, like learn how to do that kind of stuff. Um, learn what plants in your area that you can eat. Um, start building a bag. Or a box, you know, mm -hmm. a bug out bag, and okay. that that on itself could be a whole other, like you know, talk. But um, Google what's out there. Like what works for you might not work for me. What works for me might not work for you. Um, start looking at your area and start mapping out where you would go. What resources does that area offer? After <clears throat> your initial period of staying home, exactly right. And to that, to that, <laughs> yeah. have food. Gather mm -hmm. thirty day supply of freeze-dried food. You know, I finally convinced my wife, I'm like, we need this, you know, just in case. You know, you don't you don't ever know when the power might come back mm -hmm. on or it might not. So finally she gave in, I was like, yes, you know, <laughs> when? How long does that last, the freeze-dried food? Well, it says 30 days, but that's also for one person, so you can ration it uh, out. No, I mean like- Oh, you mean shelf life. Yeah, what's the shelf life? 40 years. 40 years? 40 years unopened. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a good investment. Yeah. Oh, I, I would agree. We still have MREs from World War II that are still good. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, they're still there. Wow. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the crackers could dent a tank, but you know, <laughs> they're there. Um, but I think those are the biggest ones. Like, learn learn basic survival uh -huh. and learn how to hunt and fish. You know, mm. you teach a man how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And um, what are the key things in your go bag? Or what would you suggest maybe for the average person um, to have in their go bag? A water filtration system. Now, I love and I keep I say it all the time and no, I'm not being paid by Life Straw, but a Life Straw mm -hmm. uh, because you can almost drink out of any puddle and mm -hmm. it'll still be good water. Mm -hmm. um, it really it gets about 99.5% like of like bacteria out of it. Mm -hmm. So you can use that and it, it's over and over and over and over and over like I think I can't remember like 500, 600 uses. Mm -hmm. That's your biggest thing because you're going to need it. Um, a good firearm. Like a 22, you don't need anything fancy. You don't need like some crazy gun. 22 with like 2,000 rounds of ammunition because you could comfortably store that in your bag. A tarp to build shelters. 550 cord for wrapping things, for tying things up, whatever, making like uh, traps. Um, waterproof matches. And if you don't have waterproof matches, you can make them by putting them in a pillbox and just taping it up. Uh, steel wool and a 9 volt because that's good fire starter. How do you uh, start a fire with steel wool in a 9 volt? So you have to have really fine, it's called quad zero steel wool. Okay. And all you do is you spread it out with some kindling on top or some paper, uh -huh. touch the 9 volt to the steel wool, and it ignites it. Oh. It creates an electrical charge that sends it through it, and it actually just burns it up. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. How, how much does 2,000 rounds of 22 ammo cost? Cost? Yeah. 2,000 rounds? Probably 100, 150 bucks. Oh, that's not that bad. 
Oh, heavy. Maybe, maybe less. How heavy is it? Okay. That would be oh, my. Not bad. Maybe about three, four pounds. Okay. Okay. So really? everything, and then the food. Less than a laptop. Less than a laptop. <laughs> yeah. And then what about the food? Uh, the forty days. How much? How You're just you keeping think? that at home, right? Yeah, well, so, it's, well, so you could keep the ammo if you don't go to the range, right? You could, yeah, uh, yeah I have like a whole bunch of it yeah, in the box. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the food—it's one of those things that if you buy the bucket because it came in a bucket, like a like a five-gallon bucket. And you can literally just throw that in the back of the car if you're using it. But if not, you just open it up and then pack your backpack with as much as you think you might need or you and your significant mm-hmm. other or partner, whatever it is, can can split that. Mm-hmm. Um, because you never know. Wh- where'd you get it, by the way? Amazon. Amazon? Uh, <laughs> Amazon, yes. Yes, Prepper's so, Dream. So do you know just like generally like what the approximate cost was? I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm just um, trying to figure out what I think whole... ours was $70. Okay. On Amazon for like a 30-day supply of freeze-dried stuff. Okay. You can get so it. Then, I mean, you can mm-hmm. get but different stuff. But. I, I mean, I personally am worried about quality of things on Amazon. I feel like it's been going down and down. And like, I would worry about like not knowing mm-hmm. what a reliable place is to get MREs that would actually, you know, yeah. last. So you can, <clears throat> there's some reputable companies out there that you can get it from. I think one of them is called like Backpackers Peak or something like that. It's okay. got an orange mountain on it. Um, the other one is, um, shit, I can't remember which I bought. Good, good call me. Um, but you can, you can read the reviews yeah. and then you can go research. Like if it has like a shady website mm-hmm. then they probably got it off the back of a truck in Idaho. I don't know. Like, but there's some, there's some good stuff out there. All right. All right. So this whole thing, and then how much, what about a life store? How much does a life store Oh, cost? 15 bucks. So, the, okay. So this whole thing is, we're talking maybe 300 bucks. So that's not Oh yeah. Bad. If, oh, if, oh. if that. So. If yeah. that. Um, and remember that's just basic, basic stuff. You might want to add stuff in there like a med kit, a, a whistle, a compass, you know, fire starter. Um. Mm-hmm. All that good stuff because I mean a good bag. If you did it without the ammunition, without the twenty-two, and just did it with basic, okay, I need to survive for a week, and a mm-hmm. bag. You're looking at maybe you could spend three hundred dollars and be ready to go. That's not mm-hmm. bad. That's, no, so, yeah. if you really wanted to throw in a twenty-two in ammo, put another two hundred dollars and you're good. Oh right, yeah. That's okay. yeah. For me, so. the biggest cost is like. The emotional cost of like making a go bag. I don't know. It still feels like oh, and knowing it's coming. Like, like, like I don't know. Like somehow it makes it real that yeah. something bad could happen if I make a go bag. So I, I, I've like started a few times, but I can't bring myself to complete it. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Yeah. All right, Cam, um, any last wise words for us? Anything people should keep in mind other than, you know, stay home and figure out what's going on? Don't just, like, go out in the streets and, and run around if yeah. uh, apocalypse is going on? Uh, just make sure you have a plan. Make sure that plan is sound. Uh, stay flexible. Uh, value living. And uh, always remember what you don't know can eat you. <laughs> so, there you go. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much for sharing your brains with us this episode. My pleasure. And if the whole world says that we're crazy, we don't need nobody anyhow. But if you don't want to fall in love, you better tell me right now. And if the whole world says that we're crazy,
Zombified is a production of Arizona State University and the Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Alliance. And we would like to thank everyone who helped make Zombified possible, including the Department of Psychology here at ASU. The Interdisciplinary Cooperation Initiative and the President's Office at ASU. The Lincoln Center for Applied Zombie Zombie, zombie yes, <laughs> <laughs> Ethics. <laughs> and all the brains that help make this podcast, including Tal Rom, who does our awesome sound. Shout out Tal Rom. Woohoo. Hi, Tal. Uh, Neil Smith, who does the <laughs> illustrations that you can see behind Athena if you guys are watching this. Lemmy, who is the writer and producer of the awesome song, Psychological, that you heard at the beginning of this podcast, and you will hear at the end as well. (laughs) And the Z-Team, who transcribe and help us with social media posts. They've been doing a lot of really good social media posts lately. So Yeah, you can check us out. We're all over social media now, not just Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, where you've seen us before, but um, we have not just, uh, on Spotify, we have both a Zombified account and we now have a Zamapocalypse account, which has all sorts of fun playlists of of songs that are zombie-themed, so definitely check that out. And we're on TikTok. <laughs> and now if they go to zombified.org, we're sort of continuously updating that with all the different things, right? So that's a good jumping off point. Yeah, definitely check out zombified.org. Um, and if you're on your favorite social media platform, you can just search for zombified or zamapocalypse and you'll be able to find us. How is zamapocalypse spelled? It's like Zama, but then it's apocalypse at the end. Okay, so, so just the one A. All right. Yeah. So Z A M A. Uh, yeah i don't know how to spell the rest of it (laughs) all right right. um and uh oh so we mentioned the conference before but people should still register for that and yes it's gonna be super fun check that out and you get a free t-shirt that's right and people who want even more t-shirts should go check out our merch Yes, so you could find our merch also on our website, zombified.org. And if you want to check out the uh, awesome logos and everything we have for the ZAM conference, all that is at zombiemed.org. There's just so much ZAMA and zombie and zombified. Just my my lips can't keep up with my brain. (laughs) But we have really cool t-shirts. We have a new t-shirt design that... uh, that Neil has been working on. We've been trying to figure out if it was too gross um, or gross enough. It, so. it was. There were, we had a disagreement <laughs> about it, but I, it's still kind of gross. So That's right. <laughs> it's not too um, gross. <laughs> so uh, definitely check that out. Um, and that's also on, they can find that on zombify.org as well, right? Or um, so the registration for the zombie apocalypse medicine meeting is at zombiemed.org. And if you register, you'll get your t-shirt and the mail. Oh, that's where you get the gross t-shirt. That's where you get the gross one. It's a special. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, All right. Anything else we want to let them know before we head off? Check out channel Z. If you're looking for more zombie, esque fun and horror uh we have lots of fun shows happening and you can tune in live with us um pretty much every monday at 10 30 we're we're doing a live stream so yeah well thanks so much athena this was fun yeah and thank you for listening to zombified your source for fresh brains i know it's 
crazy, but it seems so logical. I can't deny that there is something supernatural with you. Makes me act the way.